There's this painting that I keep with me, always. It's one of those little postcard reproductions. I've even made a gold frame for it out of balsa wood. The painting is called The Artist in His Studio. It's by John Singer Sargent. I've brought it with me here to the studio. I have it right here in front of me, propped up next to the microphone. The painting depicts a man painting a picture in his studio. But this artist's studio is not an ordinary studio. It is the artist's home. The man has his painting propped up on the bed and the bureau. There is no easel. You get the idea that the only things in the room are the bed, the bureau, and the chair upon which the man sits. The man is confined to extremely small quarters. The setting is grim, and it contrasts with the painting that the man is working on. A landscape. The man is painting a landscape. Horses meander through a soft green meadow, and the trees are lush and full, and the blue horizon is dotted with clouds. Most sergeant commentators dismiss this painting. They consider it to be nothing but a silly joke, an artist painting a landscape in his cramped, doleful bedroom. But I consider this painting to be a masterpiece because it captures the idea that through art, man is able to transcend his dismal, squalid surroundings. This painting is not a joke. This artist is not painting a landscape. This artist is painting a window. Look out this window for a moment. Here, let me move out of your way. You'll find the view is breathtaking. I've spent my entire life looking for the way to get to the other side of this window. I've been told time and time again that I'm wasting my efforts, but I've never given up. I've always known that there is a way to break the glass and crawl out over the windowsill. I've always been certain of it, and I made a vow that I would never give up until I discovered the secret. You're snickering at me. Well, go ahead and laugh. You think I'm crazy for believing that there's something on the other side of this window. Well, I'm not. The reality on the other side is just as real as the one we stand in right now. Sometimes, I think it's even more real. But we do not have to go into that now. I have not brought you here to this window to discuss the metaphysics of reality. I have brought you here to this window because I need your help. You see, I believe that I have finally discovered the secret. So I'm going to go to the other side of the studio now, and I need you to kneel down here in, in the front. I'm going to count to three, and on three, I'm going to run towards you, and you are going to lift me 
into the air. You're going to catapult me through the window. Trust me, this is gonna work. With your help, I am going to break the glass and land on the other side. So, on three. One. Two. Three. out here in my work home studio I live and work in the same place my studio is my home my home is my studio I'm living between my couch and my computer <laughs> so I was reading the newspaper online and I kind of got sucked into signing up on a dating site it was it was so well done it sounded great you know and and I just kind of wa I wanted to find out more so I I sign up and you know it seems like people are interested in you without having you haven't really done anything you have like a whole list of guys waiting for you and so of course I like I sign up I pay the fee and it's it's fascinating for you know, couple days. I want to participate. I want to do it. I'm, you know, I'm I'm about to find <laughs> the right man. You know, so I'm go I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to put pictures up. You know, I'm going to respond and all that. And and so I do. And then there's oh, that's so the matching points. Oh my God! So the matching points were that was the thing that 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 kind of got me. There was one person who had like really high matching points with me and, and it turns out he's an event manager and his slogan was I'm standing solid in the air with my feet and, and I was like wow if that's if that's really if that's what he really means that that sounds good and so you know, I just wrote to him and said, well, you know, that I liked his slogan and all that and, and, and that we have high matching points and stuff. Things pick up and then, of course, somehow, I don't know, I had to pull out. It's, it's like, this is, this is too intense. <laughs> and, you know, everything, all these things started to sound a little too intense. It seems like a seems a little complicated to, to to do all this you know in advance <laughs> I mean at the end you're gonna meet up at a bar right 
So I finally decided to go out to a bar. In Zurich they have uh, open studios once a year, first on one side of the river and then on the second side. And so I was invited to uh, one of these open studios and I went to have a cocktail at the bar of my friends and I didn't know anybody. I went in there with my dog, had a cocktail or two and somebody starts to talk to me. And he looks like he had a couple drinks too many already. <laughs> so you like this guy, even though he was drunk. <laughs> I didn't ruin that for you. That's good to know. It's good to know you still have the hots for the drunk guy. Well, I don't know. No, he was the only guy who talked to me. So, And I wasn't going to talk to anybody. So what else am I going to do? He kind of looked at me in a way... He, you know, he, he kind of had this look on his face, which I was very uncertain if this is now, you know, what kind of look is this? Is this the look he has when he picks up anybody? Is this how I am interpreting his look? You know, it's basically, I, I was just happy that I had met somebody I had never met. And actually, I was grateful that this person spoke to me because I wouldn't have spoken to him. I don't walk up to strangers. I'm not the kind of person who, who just starts to talk to a stranger. As I'm on my way out, I do think to myself, oh, well, maybe, maybe I should have asked him for his number. You know, maybe, maybe there's something to him, despite his being drunk. Maybe he's there for the same reason as me. Who knows? <laughs> People do meet at bars. I was at that bar I decided to go to the bookstore because I'm in the process of catching up on various things such as art history and uh, so I want to go to the bookstore and find out which are the books that they are using at school and I'm not gonna buy it because I'm gonna go to the library and uh, to save the money and so I'm, I go to the bookstore, the art department, and here stands the guy from the bar. <laughs> and it's actually, this time it's actually me saying hi to him. And of course, like between the books, for some reason, like he, he doesn't even recognize me. <laughs> That's the funniest, you know? So at the bar, he has this kind of easy look on his face and then in the bookstore he's like you know I'm just kind of I just seem to blend in <laughs> between the books or something 
and uh, so so we talk and and um, of course he, he actually has that book that I'm looking for so we, we we go and have a coffee he tells me that he has the book but it's at his brother's and he needs to get it back because his brother's not reading the book but uh, he will do that and you know that I can come pick it up, and and I or actually I I already have something in mind, something something more than just picking up the book, because I actually need more books, and so I'm I'm actually psyched to kind of go check out his place and see what what's gonna you know what's up there. You know, does he have a library? Because that's actually what I need. <laughs> you know, so but I'm, I'm not gonna present that idea yet. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna first I'm gonna go and pick up that book, and then I'm gonna. You know, see what's next. You know, something's happening, and I'm just psyched that something's happening. So you know, it takes takes him a couple days to actually have the the book and and uh, be you know have time to hand it over. And um, he only texts me. You know, it's uh, so he's like, okay, the book is ready. You can come pick it up. When are you gonna come? And uh, so I'm, I'm about to go and pick up the book at the other end of the city. I don't understand. I don't understand why you're totally cool with hooking up with some drunk guy from the bar, but you can't even meet the guy from the internet who has the matching points and the philosophy of living in the sky with his feet in the air. Well, it's, it's quite simple because, I mean, he, here's the answer. This, this guy with the books he, he actually doesn't even have internet so I would certainly not find him on the internet so it's it kind of confirms that I wouldn't meet this kind of guy on the internet and and you know that sounds that sounds good that sounds good to me Amy Pearl is a Brooklyn dog lover, and one day, someone sent her a funny dog link. EternalEarthboundPets.com. It's like, you help Christians. I don't really care about Christians, but I do care about animals. And you help them because when they go to the rapture, they need someone to take care of their pets. And this site helps hook, up, hook them up with, with people who aren't going to go to heaven who will come and get their pets. And I was like, I could do this. I could. And... So I posted something on Urban Hound so that Christians in the New York area with pets would look at it and find me, and they did. There are a lot of born-agains in New York City, and you know what's weird? Especially like Williamsburg and Bay Ridge. Tonight we're on our way to visit Laura, a young woman who recently emailed Amy about her dog, Cola. All right, let's... She said buzzer five... Hello. Hi, Laura. It's, it's Amy to uh, meet, meet Cola. Hey, I'll buzz you up. Hello? Hi. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Cola. Hi. 
She's very nice. Oh, she's. Nice. Well, do you want to take her on a walk and then we can talk about that? Would, that would be great. Yeah. Okay. So let me just get her leash on. Oh, she's strong. Okay. Okay. I think we're ready to go. So, Amy, what do you do? Oh, I work at the Park Slope Food Co-op as a membership coordinator. Oh. Do you know? Are you a member? No, no. I don't really get out my apartment that much. So what what do you do? Well, I used to work at an investment bank on Wall Street, um, but I lost my job like six months ago now. Six months, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a long time to be unemployed. You know, I'm very qualified, but when I went to actually start applying for jobs, I would just send cover letters and cover letters out and got no responses. I had this uh, wall of business, which is what I called it, of all of the jobs that I'd applied to on post-it notes, and I'd put them all up. And I thought that, oh, you know, once I get interviews, I'd take them down, and then it would go from being the super-covered wall and then bare wall. But um, I don't know if you saw when you were in my apartment, it's still covered in post-its. But, but uh, you six months and not even an interview? No, no, not even email responses. I was always checking, so I was just kind of always on the computer waiting to hear back. One day, uh, I don't remember how I got there, but I ended up at JesusLovesYou.org, and it just really changed everything for me. I've got this, this chair, I've got some back problems, so it's one of those ones that you sort of kneel on and it like keeps your back supported. And um, I was just in that position and just on this website and I just got down and I just really so Laura, committed myself to Jesus. I'm sorry. So what about Cola? Let's talk about Cola just for a sec. When did you get her? Well, when I accepted Jesus into my heart, my old friends just kind of stopped understanding me. Even, you know, these actual, you know, people that I don't see that much, they've started sort of shying away from me online. And so this week's a good example. Um, Even though I've kind of stopped seeing a lot of people in person, I'm still spending a lot of time on Facebook. And um, you know how it was doppelganger week this past week? Um, And how everyone was putting pictures of their celebrity lookalikes on their Facebook profile. And I put up a picture of Jesus. And um, within about, I'd say, five hours, I'd lost, like, dozens and dozens of friends. Like, people just wiped me from their life. Um, Um, But, Amy, one thing I really know in my heart is that Jesus will never defriend me. Okay. All right. Um, Well, what about, when did you, well, it's back to Cola for a sec. When did, when did you get, when did you get Cola? About two months ago. Oh, she's... Why do you name her Cola? You know, when I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, um, I knew I just really needed to commit and just give up things that were bad for me. You know, like soda, like pop, cola. Huh. Well, I'm on board. I I really like cola. I feel very comfortable with her, so. I'm so glad she's going to have someone to take care of her in three weeks. Three, Three weeks? Well, in three weeks, my unemployment runs out. And I won't be able to pay my rent, and I won't be able to buy food, and I know that Jesus would never let me suffer like that. So I've taken it as a sign that the rapture is coming in three weeks. Huh. Well, I I really like Cola. I feel very comfortable with her, so I think we're all set. Well, Amy, I need to be sure of you. I need to make sure that you're not going to be coming with me. 
I'm I'm Jewish. I'm a Jew. I'm not welcome up there. Well, I hang out with gay people um, and lesbians too, and dykes. Amy, I feel really weird about asking you to do this, um, but would you be okay with declaring allegiance to Satan? Oh man, that's kind of spooky. But uh, hmm. I just saw Legend with Tom Cruise. Did you see it? It's awesome. It's like um, there's a unicorn and like the devil is in there. Tim Curry, he's a total devil. I mean, I would, I would swear allegiance to him. I don't know. Well, I love cola, and I swear allegiance to Tim Curry, Satan. If you lived in Manhattan up to 2005 when he passed away, you would often see these posters um, plastered everywhere for Sri Chinmoy um, for his peace concerts. Um, you know, they're fr- free concert, and he's pictured on the poster with a, a wooden flute. And that's what got me to Central Park. I was approached by a few people in saris I, I must have just been just smelling like a very impressionable, very likely recruit. Um, I looked like someone who could be drawn into a cult easily. I was pretty f- fresh-faced. Um, I had long dreadlocks. I wasn't always very clean. I think these are, are um, things that people can pick up on pretty quickly if, uh, for people who want to recruit people in cults, the young and impressionable, and I was pretty young and impressionable, um, mostly impressed by the politics of the time. I went to a Ralph Nader rally, and um, so I definitely was looking for, you know, something. So they invited me back to, to come to their kind of group meeting back at Cooper Union, and so I went and there was this, in the Great Hall of Cooper Union, there was a worldwide meeting of followers of Sri Chinmoy. And people were dressed in multicolored saris, each color for a different country. And they would go up to the stage and they would announce themselves in song. So the people from Bulgaria would say, Bulgaria, Bulgaria. You know, some of them just didn't seem to lend themselves to being sung. Canada. I didn't join this cult because it looked like it was going to be a little too much work to get into here. There was too many meditation classes. It was going to take the buying of a sari. I didn't really want to hang out with these people. The Unification Church is a church also known as the, the Moonies. It's leader, Reverend Sung Young Moon. It's from North Korea. He escaped North Korea during the war and started a church in South Korea. His uh, empire has grown since then. He has churches all over the world. There's a branch in Brooklyn, in Midwood, Brooklyn, on Avenue U, where I went and visited them. And it was just a 
kind of a single-family home uh, where and services were upstairs and in the biggest bedroom. Kind of the interesting thing about the Unification Church is there's a lot of a lot of people are paired together uh, personally by the by Reverend Sung Young Moon. Um, just he's a matchmaker of sorts. The, the church is all about family, about finding your true family. And so he takes people who are strangers to another and matches them together. So in this church in, in, in Brooklyn, you have a lot of couples where there's these you know, diminutive um, South Korean women, short women, with these really tall, lanky American guys. And so you have a lot of these kind of awkward-looking couples. Nobody tried to set me up with uh, any of the Moonies there. There, were, there weren't any single people. I imagine there's probably a you know, singles club, an auxiliary club for, for singles. But I don't know exactly how that process happens. I didn't end up joining the, the Moonies, the Brooklyn Moonies. They didn't have a spark to them. These were people that seemed kind of tired. The Black Dog Cult was a cult led by Georgie Soroka. Georgie Soroka was a biofeedback practitioner. He had developed a cult of personality around him, and through his practice and his patience, he basically took his patients and brought them into his cult. He had developed this method of meditation where you would shake your head vigorously for hours, just back and forth, back and forth, until, you know, if you were doing it properly, you would see him levitate, you would see lights, stars, you, you would, basically the truth would be revealed. And people would just shake their heads for hours in his apartment, just back and forth and back and forth. And, and uh, on the one occasion where I had a chance to witness it, I was in his backyard, and his dog had recently passed away, and he had brought his followers around. This is why it was called the Black Dog Cult. He loved this dog. This dog was incredibly important to him. He didn't really have people on this earth that he trusted, that he really cared about. And so I guess it was all in this dog. And so he had buried it in the backyard, but I guess it had occurred to him that he could use this head-shaking uh, method this, that he had developed to raise the dog from the dead, to bring the dog back to life. So we got in a circle around where he had unearthed the corpse, and the corpse was stinking. The, the flesh was kind of falling off of it. I mean, I had never seen a dead dog corpse in, this, in a state like this. And so we just were... Sh- shaking our heads for hours and like I, I was kind of scared I don't know why I stayed I don't know why I, uh, I, I mean I just I guess I felt like I some way owed it to them to stay it was very important to them I, I, eventually George must have seen something he must have taken something as a sign or just trying to save face and he pronounced that the dog had come to back to life he took a new his arms and he brought it back into the house and locked the door and And that was the last I had seen that dog. I had no interest in joining this cult. (laughs) 
so the only time I really thought about joining a cult was one time a few years ago. I was coming home from work from the school I was working at in the West Village, and I was coming home along the Hudson River bike path, right here where we're standing, and I was looking out on this pier, and there was these three boats parked out there, these beautiful boats made from shipping containers. You know, those kind of shipping containers that had the words Hanjin or China Shipping or Costco on them. Attached to the shipping containers were these wings from an old B-52 bomber and the tail off an old bomber and a propeller in the front. And the crew was just sitting out there on the wing, just eating barbecue and watching the sunset. For some reason, I was really bold, much bolder than I normally am. I went to this great West Village butcher that I go to often and I got a bunch of sausage and I came back to the pier and I just started waving it over my head yelling hello hello and they untied a skiff and came and picked me up the rafts were really amazing they had used a cutting torch to cut these rectangular windows in the sides and if you looked up there was this plexiglass dome with concord grapes planted over the top of that and inside there was a hydroponic garden it was just beautiful they were all in their mid-twenties, like me. They called themselves the Bucket Brigade. And the names of the ships were the Sucket Bucket, the Red Bucket, and of course, the Hole in the Bucket. Each member of the crew was a combination of their first name and their bucket. And I met Kelly Bucket, Jamie Bucket, and Charlie Bucket. They had no satellite phone, no radar. They just had running lights, a pirate flag, and a CB radio. These guys just blew me away. So they were here on this pier in New York City making one last dumpstering run before they were going to float off towards Europe. I really liked Jamie Bucket, and as we were eating our sausages, she kept whispering to me that if I really wanted to, I could come with them. But Charlie Bucket kept staring at me with this constipated look, and like he wanted to tell me something, but he couldn't. Eventually, Charlie Bucket took me aside and told me that, look, even though Jamie and I are in an open relationship, that I should really beat it. So he put me back in a skiff and took me back to the shore. I walked back to the West 4th Street station and I got on the A train, but by the time I got to J Street Borough Hall, I turned around. Screw Charlie Bucket. But when I got back to the pier, they were gone. The weird thing is I can't find any trace of these guys on the internet. No Flickr page, no blog, no references in Google News. I mean, they don't exist as far as the internet goes. I hope eventually something will turn up. When we look back at Obama's first year in office, one of the supposed failures is 
the inability to him to meet his self-imposed deadline of January 22nd of this year to close the prison at Guantanamo Bay. The, the story goes that no one wants to accept these prisoners. Like there's this story, it's not in my backyard. We're not gonna bring these prisoners here. They don't deserve a fair trial and they'll put United States citizens at risk. So we don't want them. And then that's why Obama's not been able to move them from Guantanamo Bay. But the reality is just the opposite. Behind the scenes, there are several key players that are pushing as hard as they can to bring those prisoners to their states. The primary players here are Texas and California. So in Texas, you have Governor Rick Perry. His goal is to bring those prisoners to Texas where they can be put on trial and executed by him in the state of Texas. He thinks there'll be public appetite to convict and execute them and this is gonna be beneficial to him. The competing interest is California and Governor Schwarzenegger. Now, Schwarzenegger and Perry have a bit of a rivalry because they are the governors of two large states and they are both Republicans and they're kind of vying for the spotlight in effect. Now, Schwarzenegger's got an even tougher uphill battle as far as capital punishment than Perry because since 1976, there's only been 13 executions in California. Schwarzenegger sees 700 people on his death row currently, but he can't get the political support to get those people basically executed. So he believes the Guantanamo prisoners, if moved to California, will kind of break this logjam and give him more of that tough guy, governator swagger that he had for a while. So he and Perry are both very interested in getting these prisoners moved to their states. So this is why the Obama administration is so focused on moving the prisoners to Illinois. There has not been a prisoner executed in Illinois since 1999. Back in 2000, then Governor Ryan halted executions because he felt that the system was so flawed and there has not really been an appetite to revive the executions in Illinois. And that's why Obama's interested in moving them there. One of the factors that's making the choice of Illinois easier is the fact that this is being viewed as a job creator. Senator Durbin, Governor Quinn, Many other members of the Illinois delegation are pushing this because they say it will bring jobs to Illinois. There is one guy though that's causing some concern for the administration, and that is Representative Mark Kirk. He keeps saying, quote, we aren't closing Gitmo, we're moving it to America's heartland, unquote. Now, most people are reading that as the typical not in my backyard, it's too dangerous to bring prisoners here kind of response. But in reality, the concern is that what Kirk's really saying is bring the prisoners to Illinois and it's business as usual. Now, 
what I'm about to say is difficult to talk about and difficult for some people to hear. Back in 2005, three prisoners at Guantanamo Bay simultaneously committed suicide. The truth of the matter is that they were tortured to death by the guards at the camp. Now, this is the story that no one wants to talk about. And it is amazing that this was on the cover of this month's Harper's Magazine. On the night of June 9th, 2006, those three prisoners were removed from the main camp and taken outside the perimeter to a place called Camp No, where they were beaten, punched, kicked, walled, choked, and in the end, they had rags stuffed down their throats until they asphyxiated. Now some are deeply concerned that business as usual in the heartland means these kinds of activities. Of course, the last thing that President Obama wants is for something like this to happen in Illinois. I know. Is there any chance of something not horrible happening to these guys? There is one possibility. President Obama has personally spoken to the Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper, and floated the idea that the Guantanamo Bay prisoners be transferred to a facility just north of the Canadian border where we know they would be safe. about um, new media conferences is that you get a free vacation. There was this one in Palm Springs a couple months ago that my company sent me to, and they were sending down six of us. Free vacation, six of us. And instead of us deciding to um, just go the boring hotel route, we um, decided to rent one of these amazing mid-century modern homes that Palm Springs is so famous for. You know, these bungalows, Eichler homes. And this one was over the top. So in a way, it was kind of like a private vacation for um, me and my friend Jessica. The other four people from the company just, you know, it was good that they came along because we were able to get this amazing house. But um, Jessica and I were just going to kill it at this, at this conference. So the conference was called New Now Next, colon, Emerging Media, Emerging Markets. <laughs> they all have the dumbest names for these conferences. And it was four days long and it had all these speakers and panels. And it was about where New Media was going, what we can do with it, and, um, you know, what's going to happen next. And most importantly, like, how are we going to make money at this? Because, like, people are doing all this really cool stuff, but you just, if there's no way to fund it, it's like, really, how far can advertising go? So, I mean, a lot of the talks were, were about this. Um, I missed a lot of those. The thing about Jessica is that um, she's really, really smart, a great friend of mine, but she's a total klutz. Like, the first night we were there at the house, she trips over this glass coffee table and totally face plants on the um, fireplace mantle, rocking a black eye, first day of the conference. 
But the thing about Jessica is that she is so freaking hot that the black eye only made her like more interesting and kind of dangerous. And so she was just beating people like crazy. We had this plan. You know, they always have these mixers every night, but screw that. We're going to bring people back and have dinner parties at our amazing place, pool party, boom, every night of the conference. So the black eye was kind of like our golden ticket. She kept like pulling thuggy IT design types, which is, it really is a subgenre. I don't know how much time you spend in um, in the, in the uh, web design world, but they're out there. The last day of the conference came around and I realized I really should hit a few more talks before it was all over. So I went to this one called um, Monetize This. <laughs> another hilarious name. Um, and I was sitting next to this dude who was, you know, kind of fashionable and inter interesting. So I started talking to him and he um, name checks Dan Deacon in like three seconds. I'm like, what? Because I love Dan Deacon. Anyway, he... Um, Turns out he uh, lives in SF, too, and um, I'm like, dude, you totally have to come to our party tonight. And then I asked his name, and he tells me his name, and my jaw totally drops. His name is Gooey, which is how you um, pronounce G-U-I. It's uh, the acronym for Graphical User Interface. And yeah, it's, it's sort of a weird name, but he is a rock star. He just goes, he's worked for every single technology company out here. He's worked for Google, eBay, MySpace, Dig, Facebook, Reddit, like, and he never works for any place more than maybe eight months. He goes in there, he just like tears it up, and then another company calls him and he goes to the next place. I mean, he is the sh So the party was was great. It was just a really fun vibe. My roommates were super impressed I brought this guy. He was hilarious. It was just, he was kind of a, you know, the star of the party, but wasn't being a jerk about it. Just, it was smooth and lovely and hot. Then he, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get something. I'll be right back. And we're like, okay. So he goes, he goes back to his car and comes back with this small black suitcase. And he starts putting together this, um, sort of looks like tent poles. You know, because uh, all these like poles that fold in on themselves, you know? And it takes him about 10 minutes and we look and all of a sudden there's this enormous geodesic dome in, in this beautiful mid-century modern house we had rented. And on every single place where the, the poles intersected, there were these LED lights and, like, and these, um, these black discs. And there are all these wires coming coming off of the off of the device and going straight into his computer. And we're like, what the heck is this? It was like Burning Man. It just invaded our highly curated space. And he puts a chair in the middle of this dome, I guess for you know optimum light show viewing. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. You know, I was thinking that he was going to ask me to sit in the chair because we were really hitting it off. And he's like, Jessica, why don't you get in the chair? I'm like, what the? working this she sits down and he's like oh jessica what's your twitter name so she tells him um her twitter name and he types it in and then the music starts and the lights begin it gets really creepy and um about 10 seconds go by and jessica grabs her head and starts making this kind of weird sound he, 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 he. like like four times and then kind of slouches down and I'm like, cut it, cut it. Like, what the heck are you doing? So we turn on the lights, get her out of there. We're giving her um, water. Of course she's fine. And um, I look over and 
there's all this stuff on his computer. Huge feed of words, just words, 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 scrolling all the way up. And I realize nothing is going to happen with this guy. He's into Jessica. This whole night is a wash. I got all excited for nothing. I'm like, dude, you got to go. I kick him out. Done. Bye. We wake up the next morning. We're all super groggy and like trying to clean up this place so we can get our deposit back. And I'm helping Jessica out with, with the trash. We're, you know, picking it up. And I look at her and her black eye was gone. She looks at herself in the mirror. She's kind of freaked out. I'm kind of freaked out, but we're like, black eye's gone. What's, what's to worry? So, so we finish bagging up all our stuff, drive back to San Francisco. So a couple days later, um, we're all back in San Francisco, and um, I'm kind of thinking about them a little bit, and I decide, I always just go for things, and it usually serves my purposes pretty well, so I just give him a call. And he actually answers, and is really personable, and is totally cool, and asks me if I want to come over right now. And I'm like, right now? He's like, yeah, why don't you just come over right now? And I'm like, all right. It turns out he lives about four blocks from me. So um, I get dressed, put on a little bit of an appropriate amount of makeup, and I walk over to Gooey's house. It was this huge raw space that was had all these incredible architectural details and beautiful furniture. One wall just had a cage of mice all on one side, and then there was like a, a workshop area that was basically a third of the whole warehouse space with just wires and soldering irons and chips and all this stuff going on. And in the middle of all of this is that dome that he brought to the party. And I go up and, and take another look at it. And he says, you know there's only two of these. I go, oh, yeah? Where's the other one? At the Twitter office. I work for them now. And then he says, I am the one that is going to make Twitter rich. I'm the one that's going to show Twitter how to monetize. So what this geodesic dome is, is basically a huge orgone box, but it's not like mumbo jumbo, sexual, you know, healing energy orgone it actually works on tweets. He takes the live feed of every single tweet out there and beams them directly into your brain. And these tweets supposedly have super healing powers. And I look at him and I'm like, this is preposterous. But then I thought about Jessica's eye. I mean, it did clear up. Maybe that's why it was a Twitter feed that fixed her eye. I'm like, I'm getting in the chair. So I walk whoa, over. Wait, wait, why are you getting in the chair? What's wrong with you? It's not important. Yes, it is. You can't just say you're getting in the healing chair without saying what it is you need healed. I'm not going to tell you. Val, the story won't work if you don't say what it is. I have something. It's super embarrassing. I don't feel like talking about it. Just tell me what it is. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, uh, I don't even know what to say. It's not important. So this I walk over and get in the chair. And um, the lights, he turns off all the lights and he brings up this that twitchy electronic music and the, light, the lights on the, the dome start flashing, flashing. 
and I have that same reaction that Jessica does. I mean, I do the same, like, grab my head and I go, hey, 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 hey. And then it all kind of shuts down. He brings back the light, brings back up the lights, and, and he starts telling me about investing. And, you know, this is going to be the biggest thing. And yeah, I can get it on the ground floor. And he's asking me how much money I have in the bank. And I'm like, ah, I just want to go home and check out and see if it works and see if I'm actually healed. And um, so I leave. Can, can I at least ask if it worked? Did you, did you get healed? No. problem was the painting, and so I've replaced it with a new one. Well, a new postcard reproduction. It's called View from a Window. It's also by John Singer Sargent. He painted it about seven years after the one that used to sit in this gold-painted balsa wood frame. I have it right here in the studio with me, propped up next to the microphone. The painting depicts a view of a window, an artist window. The frilly lace curtain is pulled back and held in place by the artist's paint box, and on the chair in front of the window rests an open portfolio. The paint box overflows with watercolors, pencils, and oils, and on the pages of the portfolio there are undefined swaths of color, light, and energy. The messy portfolio pages stand out in contrast with the tranquil view out the window. Out the window, there is a harbor, and in the harbor, there are boats. Most of the boats are anchored and still, but a few are poised, ready to set sail. Most sergeant commentators don't know what to make of this painting. Most consider it just another oddity produced by the master after he stopped painting portraits of wealthy aristocrats and businessmen. But I consider this painting to be a masterpiece because it captures the idea that through art, man is able to transcend his surroundings. This painting is not an oddity. This is not a view of a window. This is an actual window. Here, let me move out of your way. Take a look for yourself. You'll find the view is breathtaking. I am determined to make it through this window. Before the boats, have all left the harbor. I'm not sticking around. Besides, I'm not really a painter. I wouldn't know what to do with the watercolors or the oils. I can't really even draw. But I do know that there is a way to break the glass and crawl out over the windowsill. And don't worry, this time I won't be asking for your help. No, I am sick 
and tired of waiting around for something to happen or someone to help me. This time, I'm taking matters into my own hands. All I need from you is to step out of the way. You're snickering again. Well, go ahead, laugh. But I'll, I'll say it again. The reality on the other side of this window is just as real as the one we stand in now. Perhaps even more real. But we don't have to go into that now. Like I said, all I need from you is to stand back. Thank you. So, on three. One. Two. Three. This episode of Too Much Information is called Something Will Happen Soon. It was written and produced by Benjamin Walker, Bill Bowen, Laura Mayer, Amy Pearl, Noah Apple, Cindy Heller, Val Dorito, and Chris. For more information, visit the TMI show page at WFMU.org.